But one passage that raised multiple questions after last Sunday evening's sermon was the passage we discussed in Exodus 32, where God says that because of Israel's idolatry, he's going to destroy Israel and he's going to start over with Moses. And then Moses intervenes and God relents. He changes his mind because of, God, or because of Moses' prayers and intervention. The question was asked, if God doesn't change, why does it look like that prayer can change the mind of God? So this evening, I'd like to dive deeper into that question. Does prayer change God's mind? To begin with, let's re-review Exodus 32. Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the law, and the Israelites grow impatient, and they begin to worship the golden calf. In his anger at their idolatry, God declares he's going to wipe them out and start all over with Moses. He says in Exodus 32, 9, then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation." But Moses intervenes. He prays. He, he goes to God on behalf of the Israelites. It says in Exodus 32, 11, but Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? And his prayers and his arguments and his pleas do seem to change God's mind. In Exodus 32, 14, it says, So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Now, we know that God does not change. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord and I do not change. And the reason God does not change is for two very important reasons. Reason number one, the first reason why God does not change, is because change indicates imperfection. To change means to move from one position to another position, from a good position to a worse position. For example, a job loss. You, you have a, a great job, but because of unforeseen circumstances, you get laid off from the job that you love, that the pay was good, and you end up taking a lesser paying job, a job that is not as fulfilling and satisfying in order to pay the bills. Your job position has changed from good to worse. But change can also be from a bad position to a better position. You know, think about your personal style. I'm, I'm guessing that most of us here are not wearing the same clothes and have the same hairstyle that we had back when we were younger. We, we over time, we get tired of our old style and we want to change it. So we, we buy new clothes, we get a haircut, and because of the change, we, we feel better about ourselves. And we, our position has moved from a worse position to a better position. So change indicates imperfection. But a second reason, well, before we say that, but remember, we know that God is perfect in Matthew 5, 48. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfect means being fully complete. Perfect means there is nothing more that can be done to improve something. God is perfect. That means he has never had nor ever will need any sort of change. He'll never be in a position, be in a bad position and need to change to a good possession because he's perfect. He'll never be in a good position and move to a bad position because God is already perfect. Reason number two, though, is that God doesn't change is because change indicates a lack of information. 
Sometimes we make a change because we receive new information. Last week we talked about changing your vacation plans at the beach because you get new information that a hurricane is coming. But we know God is omniscient. He has full knowledge of everything, everywhere for all time. In Psalm 147.5 it says, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. God will never receive any new information that will ever cause him to change his mind or his will. Because God is perfect, he has all knowledge, he's not capable of making a wrong decision. He's not capable of changing. For God to change would mean that he is not perfect or he is not omniscient. So how do we then account for the scenario we see here in Exodus 32? where it does seem that Moses' prayer changes the mind and the actions of God. Well, let me first state, the question as to whether or not our prayers change God's mind is a debate that has occurred for generations between well-meaning Christians. There are many theories, but the Orthodox Church has never reached a full satisfactory consensus on this question. And on this side of heaven, we probably will never reach a full satisfactory answer. And the reason is is we are trying to give a definitive answer to the thoughts and actions and motivations of an infinite God. Remember Isaiah 55, 8, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. So really, to give a definitive definition of how prayer and change work together is really beyond the capability of our brains. But because God has given us minds and he has given us the ability to examine and study his word, we can come up with possible answers. So tonight I'd like to lay out two theories. Theory number one, God's will is fixed and the path to fulfill his will is fixed. Go back to our passage, it says in Exodus 32.4, So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring upon his people. Now, it's very similar to what God says to Jonah when Jonah preached to the wicked Ninevites and they repented. In Jonah 3.10 it says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Both passages have the phrase, he changed his mind. Some translations say he relented. The Hebrew word being used here in both passages is the Hebrew word nachem, and it means to be sorry or sorrowful. So you could say, so the Lord relented. He was sorrowful about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring upon his people. But nachem can also mean to console oneself. Perfect, omniscient God already knew long before it happened that the Ninevites would pray to him for mercy and repent, and he would not destroy them. Perfect, omniscient God already knew long before it happened that Moses would pray for him to him for mercy, and he would not destroy the Israelites and start over with Moses like he threatened to do. So the idea here is that when it says he changed his mind, The author is using the definition that God consoled himself. God was comforted in the fact that he did not have to destroy the Ninevites in Jonah chapter 3. He was comforted by the fact that he did not have to destroy the Israelites in Exodus 32. Even though he threatened to destroy the Ninevites, he never changed his mind with the Ninevites because he knew they would repent. He never changed his mind with the Israelites because he knew Moses would intervene. 
Now, the problem with this theory is that if God's will is fixed and the path to fulfill his will is already fixed and predetermined, then it really downplays the importance of our earnest and heartfelt prayers. If God had already predetermined that Israel would not be wiped out, then it really made no difference if you look at it for Moses to pray or to not pray. Theory number two. God's will is fixed, but the path to fulfill his will is not fixed. Prayer does not change God's will, according to this theory, but prayer can change circumstances. Because God is all-knowing, he can see all paths, he can see all outcomes. Think about your life. It's made up of countless decisions and actions, thousands, millions of decisions and actions that we do over a lifetime. And as we look backwards at our lives, we see our life as a single winding road made up of the results of our actual decisions, made up of our actual actions that we've made along the way, a single winding road. But I believe God looks at our life not as a single winding road, but more like a spider web. Think of Google Maps or, or Apple Maps. You see on your screen on that, uh, a map, a, a spider web of all the possible roads between where you are at and the destination you are trying to get to. And usually there's that bright highlighted line that shows you the best route to your destination. But is that the only route that you can take to get to your destination? More often than not, it, it's not. Usually there's other highlighted routes or other routes that you can take as possible alternatives to get to your destination. Often these routes are longer or slower. I tend to believe that God sees our life like a map of all the roads we could have taken in the past, all the roads we could possibly take in the future. That his, but his will will ultimately be fulfilled. All of those paths will lead to the fulfillment of his will. Now, does scripture support this idea? I think it does. In 1 Samuel 23, we have this story. David and his band of outlaws are on the run from Saul and his army. And they're in the wilderness near the town of Kylea, and they get news that Kylea is being ransacked by the Philistines. So David prays to God and asks him if he should go and save Kylea. God answers him and tells him to take his men and save the town. So David and his men, they go and save the town. News reaches King Saul that David has saved Kylea. So Saul mobilizes his troops and he heads to Kylea to capture David. Then David prays to God on what to do. And notice this exchange. It's in 1 Samuel 23.10. O Lord God of Israel, I've heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy Kylea because I am here. Will the leaders of Kylea betray me to him? And will Saul actually come as I have heard? O Lord of God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, he will come. Again, David asked, will the leaders of Kylea betray me and, me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, yes, they will betray you. So David and his men, about 600 of them, left Kylea and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped, so he didn't go to Kylea after all. Now to me, this is a fascinating verse. 
Now, did the leaders of Kylea actually betray David? No. David left before they could betray him. But God could clearly see a path, a scenario, a branch on the map of David's life where David did stay in Kylea and he was betrayed by the leaders. And he tells him, if you stay, you will be betrayed. God tells David what will happen because God in his omniscience knew every possible path that David could have taken. And he revealed to David one of the possible roads on the map of David's life. You know, think about your life in terms of the game Plinko. Does everybody know what the game Plinko is? It's a great game. It's the best game on the game show, The Price is Right. In fact, it's so popular that one episode of The Price is Right, every game that every contestant played was Plinko for that entire episode. Now, for those that are not familiar with Plinko, it's basically where the contestant stands at the top of this large elevated game board that's sl- sloped downward. And they drop a large circular plastic chip down the face of this game board. And on the game board are dozens of pegs that redirect the chip all over the place as the chip falls down the board. Finally, the chip makes it to the bottom of the board and it ends up in one of multiple slots that has a dollar amount and whatever the dollar amount is that the chip goes in, that's how much money that the contestant wins. Now imagine your life as a Plinko board and instead there being multiple slots at the bottom, there's only one slot. And on that slot, it has a label, God's will. And that Plinko chip is moving down the board, that represents your life. And as it hits the different pegs and the chip redirects in different directions, those pegs represent all the different decisions and actions that you take in your life. And when you pray to God for direction, when you pray to God for wisdom, he sometimes reveals which way he wants your chip to go when it hits one of those pegs. What you can see then is that God's will does not change. But the circumstances that make up the path of your life can change. They can change because of our prayerful actions and decisions, and they can change because of our lack of prayerful actions and decisions. So going back to our story about David, what would have happened if David had not prayed to God on whether to stay in Kylea or not? What would have happened if, because of David's lack of prayer, God did not reveal to him whether to stay or whether to go or whether the leaders were going to betray him or not? Well, we know ultimately what God's will for David's life was. David was going to be the king. In 1 Samuel 16, 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So I would argue that God was going to make David king, whether David stayed in Kylea or not. But if David had stayed, maybe he would have had to fight a battle with Saul and lost many of his good friends and men. Maybe he would have been captured and then people would have to risk their life and try to save him. We don't know what would have happened if David had stayed in Kylea because in our finiteness, we can only see the one path that he took. 
But God in his omniscience could see every single one of God's paths. And because of David's prayer, God revealed to him the safest path to take. Leave Kylea. So prayer did not change God's will. But it did change David's circumstances. So let's go back to Exodus 32. What was God's will for Israel? Well, we know that it was God's will for the Messiah to come from the line of Abraham. Peter, in Acts 3.24, he's preaching in the temple, and he says, Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of the prophets, and you were included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. Will be blessed. That means they're going to be blessed because of the coming Messiah. So God's will regarding Israel would never change. But is it possible that the path to how the Messiah would arrive could change? So when God says that he was going to wipe out Israel and start again with Moses, and you couple that with the fact that Moses was a descendant of Levi, the son of Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, it does sound like God could very well have taken a different path to achieve his changeless will of bringing the Messiah to the world through the line of Abraham. But because Moses prayed, God chose not to go down that path. And instead, he continued down the path of the Messiah coming from the line of Judah as laid out in the Bible that we have today. So prayer didn't change God's will for Israel, but it quite possibly did change Israel's circumstances. And there are two examples, David and Moses, but they're not the only scenarios, only examples we see in the Bible of this happening. For example, Look at the life of King Hezekiah. Towards the end of his life, King Hezekiah becomes very sick. It says in 2 Kings 20, about that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. Now, God makes it pretty clear. Hezekiah is going to die. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But then we see Hezekiah's response. He prays that God will change his mind. It says in 2 Kings 20, verse 2, when Hezekiah heard this, he returned his face to the wall. He prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. And lo and behold, it appears that God does change his mind because of Hezekiah's prayer. In 2 Kings 20, verse 4, it says, But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you from the city, from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my honor and for the sake of my servant David. So let's see, what is God's will here? I believe what we are seeing is that Hezekiah is in the latter part of his life. And because of the sin of Adam, what is the result of all people? Well, we physically die in Genesis 3.19. 
by the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. God has decreed that all people will physically die because of our sin. In regards to Hezekiah's prayer, God is not at all changing his mind about this decree. The end result of Hezekiah's life was going to be physical death. But because of Hezekiah's prayer, he will change the path of Hezekiah's life and give him more time, 15 more years. Prayer would not change God's will for Hezekiah's physical life to eventually end, but prayer did change the circumstances that led, to, that led up to Hezekiah's physical death. So when it comes to the question if our prayers can change God's mind, I think what we discover is the interplay between God's sovereignty and mankind's free will. God is sovereign. God is autonomous. And despite our flesh wanting to be sovereign, despite our flesh wanting to be autonomous, we are not, nor will we ever be sovereign and autonomous. In fact, one day we know every knee shall bow before God and every tongue will confess that Jesus, not you and I, is the Lord. That means that the will of God will always trump the will of man. But for us to truly have free will, there has to be some level of freedom for us to choose or not choose certain actions. Now, the mind of God does not change. The will of God does not change. The promises of God do not change. But it does appear in Scripture that God does allow, within certain limits, to allow our prayers to change circumstances. So that's what prayer is. It's God giving us options within the confines of his will. For example, when we get sick, what do we do? We pray to God for the option that we will get better. When we learn that we have a neighbor that's never accepted Jesus Christ, we ask God for the option that our neighbor will change his or her mind. And if the option we ask God for is ultimately within his will, often our loving Heavenly Father will grant us the desire of our hearts. But sometimes we ask God for an option that is outside of his will, and he will not answer our prayers. Probably the greatest example of this is the most heartfelt prayer ever prayed by a human being. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus cried out to God, Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. God did not answer his prayer. Why? Because it was not within God's will. It was God's will for his son to suffer. Isaiah 53, 10, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And I and you and I are all eternally grateful that God did not answer Jesus' prayer. So to recap, let's ask the original question. Does prayer change God's mind? And I would say, no, it does not. God's mind is settled regarding his will, his purposes, and his promises. God can't change his mind regarding his will and promises and purposes because if he did, he would not be a perfect and omniscient God. But if we ask the question, does prayer change circumstances? I would say yes, most definitely it does. When we pray, 
And our prayer is within God's will, it's within God's purposes, it's within his promises, then we should expect God to answer. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are, we are thankful for this opportunity to come together this evening and to, to study this question. Do our prayers change your mind? Or do our prayers change our circumstances? And Lord, we're thankful that in your word we see these examples of where circumstances are changed because of the prayers of your children. We pray, Lord, and we're so very thankful that you've given us this awesome opportunity to pray to you. Our, our prayers can change circumstances. And Lord, we just pray that we don't take this for granted, that we just don't take this awesome responsibility, this awesome opportunity for granted. So often it's easy for our prayers to become rote and, and routine and mundane. And we pray, Lord, that we recognize and realize what prayer truly is. It's us communicating to you, you hearing our words, Lord, and in your love responding to our request. It's amazing to think about that. Our request to an infinite, almighty God can change circumstances. But we're so very thankful for your word. We're so very thankful that you love us. We're looking forward to that day when all of these questions will be fully answered and we will see clearly our lives and, and, and everything that's gone on in our lives and all the paths that you've taken us down ultimately to fulfill your will, to bring us home, to be with you in eternity. We're so very thankful. We pray all these things in the name of your son. Amen.